tonight, and I'm excited about it. We're starting the Attributes of God, and I'm looking forward to this, thinking through where we were going this year on Wednesday nights. We've just finished the How to Understand the Bible, and this series, Lord willing, will take us all the way up till Thanksgiving to get through this one as we work through the Attributes of God slowly, week by week. But I'm excited about it. There's a lot of depth for us to explore and to think about. And so as we think about attributes, before we try to even define them tonight, I want you to do a little exercise with the person next to you. So find someone next to you if you have to move around. I want you to, to, to tell the person next to you, take no more than 30 seconds, and describe to the person next to you your spouse or your best friend, okay? So look at each other, and, and how would you describe your spouse or your best friend in 30 seconds to one another? So, so, so have at it. You pair up and describe it. So just see, see what happens. So just maybe 30 seconds max. Okay, if you haven't swapped now, swap another person now. Describe your spouse or best friend to the person sitting next to you. Okay, well, didn't give you much time on that, but, but shout out to me. What, what are some of the type of words you heard to describe your spouse or best friend? Ho- hopefully, if it, only nice things, okay? <laughs> so, what, what are some of the things you heard? What are some words you heard? Anyone? Wise, thoughtful, loyal, beautiful, leadership. Anyone else? What's that? Faithful, yeah. So what you just described and those and many other words are what we would call attributes. And I only gave you about 30 seconds, but trying to get you to think off the top of your head, so to speak. You could probably go on and on about that. And if you turn to page two of your handout... What is an attribute? Well, that's what you just did. You were describing the attributes of the person that you were describing. An attribute is a characteristic or a quality of a person or thing. So again, generally speaking broadly, an attribute is a characteristic or quality of a person or thing. So when I ask you to describe your spouse or friend, you said things like beautiful, leader, loyal, faithful, kind. You were describing attributes. You are describing their characteristics and their qualities with these short single word descriptions. Well, that's not too hard. Like, as soon as I ask you I'll do that, immediately everyone was able to start doing that. It's one thing when you're talking about your friends, but how in the world do we describe God? How in the world do we describe the attributes, the characteristics, the qualities of who God is? It's a huge question, and it's a tough question for us. It's one thing to describe a person we can see, but how do we describe God who we cannot see with our physical eyes? To see the challenge before us, look at some of these scriptures there on page two of your handout. Isaiah 40, 25. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. So we're already at disadvantage trying to describe God, because God says, who can even compare me to? Who on earth can I even be comparable with to describe? Or how about Psalm 145, verse 3? Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Oh my goodness, now we're trying to describe a God who we've just been told. His greatness is so great, it's unsearchable. Our little, tiny, finite minds cannot get to the depths of God's greatness. Or how about Psalm 147, verse 5? Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. So again, his understanding is so vast, our little tiny finite minds can't even begin to comprehend the vastness, the greatness 
of our Lord's understanding, his wisdom, his knowledge, his power. Get to Romans, Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How? There's that word again. Unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. Now, we don't use the word inscrutable every day. If you do, you probably have your friends look at you funny, right? Inscrutable just means impossible to understand or interpret. So how unsearchable are his judgments and how impossible to understand and interpret are his ways. That's what that's telling us. And so this is the God that we're trying to describe, one who's described as unsearchable, who's so much greater than us that our brains cannot even fully understand or even begin to understand why he does what he does. And then 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be the honor and eternal dominion Amen. Notice that phrase there we just read, whom no one has ever seen or can see. He he dwells in unapproachable light. How in the world do we describe one who we cannot see, who dwells in unapproachable light, who is inscrutable, whose judgments are unsearchable, whose understanding is beyond measure, whose greatness is unsearchable, and who cannot be compared to people? How in the world are we going to attempt to describe this God and to do so over the next about six months as we try to do so? So how do we try to describe God? Well, in one sense, the whole message of the Bible is describing God for us. From Genesis to Revelation is, a, in a sense, a description for us of who God is, of, of his attributes on that. But we have to realize that the Bible is not a textbook. It is a story. It is God's story. It is a redemptive story for us. So as we're going through this series, I can't tell you, turn to book two of your Bible that's titled, Who is God? Now find chapter 13 in book two called His Nature. Find section number three called His Goodness. And let's look at subpoint number two on His Patience with His Sinners. Like, the Bible's not divided that way because that's not how it was designed to be written or read. The Bible is a story. It is a redemptive story of how God is moving and who He is. But yet the Bible tells us who God is. And you see on your handout there, how do we learn about God in the Bible? Well, The Bible shows us God's words. It shows us his actions. We learn about him. We discern about him as we read his words to his people, as we see what he has done. But in particular, as we're trying to describe God, the Bible describes God for us really in three ways. The Bible describes God in terms of his name, images, and attributes, his names. We could do an entire study, and maybe we'll do this one day, Lord willing, in the future, but the names of God. There's so much we learn about who God is if we'll explore his names. What does it mean that he is Yahweh? What does it mean that he's Jehovah? What does it mean that he's Lord? As we start going through on and on the many names of God, what do we learn about him? Those names reveal his character. But that's not our study for this time. Again, maybe down there. What about the images of God? What do I mean by that? I mean the Bible describes God for us with images like God is light in 1 John. Or, God is, or Jesus is our shepherd. Or um, he's our father. He's our shield. You know, he's the lifter of our head. He's our defender. And there's the images for us of how God relates to us. Again, there's a whole study we could do on the images of God to help us understand who he is. But the third way is what we're going to focus on for these months to come, and that are his attributes, his attributes. Now, this, again, we define it as a characteristic or quality of a person or thing. Now, over the years, people have used different terms to describe the attributes of God. Some people call it God's perfections. It's more an older theology. You don't find that as much anymore, but God's perfections. Some describe it as God's properties. We don't use that much because that just sounds so cold, non-relational, um, business-like. Or some say it's, they're speaking of God's virtues. Whether you call it attributes, perfections, properties, virtues, we're looking at God's nature and his character. And how do we do that? So go back to the front page of your handout, the kind of title page here. And I want us to read Psalm 145 here. And as I read it, 
I want you to be looking for the attributes, the perfections, the properties, the virtues of God. In other words, be looking for what we're just describing, his characteristics, his qualities, as I read this. So be listening for them, because I'm going to ask you in just a minute what some of them are. So you may want to mark it up if you hear one of his characteristics here. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I'll bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Of the glorious splendor of your majesty on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing a lot of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and rises and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them food in due season. You open your hands, you satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him. But all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. What are some of the attributes of God you see in here? Anyone just shout out a few that you see? Faithful. Yeah, what else do you see in here of attributes of God? What's it? Gracious, yeah. What else? Eternal, merciful, righteous, steadfast. And we could do like a whole sermon series just on these attributes right here. I mean, he's, he's unsearchable. He's mighty acts. He's glorious splendor. He's majestic. He does awesome deeds. His greatness, his goodness, his righteousness, his mercy. He's slow to anger or patience, abounding in love. His goodness, his mercy. He's the creator the glory of his kingdom, his power, his mighty deeds, he's everlasting, he endures, he's faithful, he's kind, he's one who upholds, he's a provider and giving them food, he's righteous, he's kind, he's near, he hears, he saves, he preserves, and he will judge, he will destroy. That's all in just one psalm. As we're trying to figure out who God is, you see just an incredible list of his attributes in this one particular psalm. And again, we could do our whole series just on the attributes in that psalm. So turn back to page two here. So how in the world do we attempt to describe who God is. If you see there where we kind of left off there, there's a non-bold point there, three-fourths way down. To try to summarize what we see from the whole Bible about God's nature leads us to talk systematically about his attributes. So when we're trying to say what in the world do, how in the world do we describe God, we end up always falling back into some type of systematic approach to doing it. Systematic just means organized, in an organized fashion, a systematic way. And so when you ask the question, you know, what does the Bible say about God's love? You're just systematizing that. Genesis to Revelation shows us the love of God. And so how do we describe that from the entirety of the Bible? We're just systematizing. We're just organizing all the Bible's teaching on the love of God. Or likewise, someone might say, well, where do we find the wrath of God? Well, we look Genesis to Revelation, see his attribute of his wrath, and then we try to describe it. We're systematizing the teaching of the entire Bible on this characteristic of God. Now, it's not on your handout, but the reality is everyone who talks about God does this. Everyone who talks about God systematizes his attributes in some way. When you hear a person on the street tell you, you know, a loving God would just never send anyone to hell. They're doing a systematic theology of their understanding of God. They have in their mind, because it's, it's, it's not what the scripture says, but in their mind they've decided how they perceive God to be a God of love. Therefore God does something. They are systematizing 
an attribute of God from their understanding. Or you hear someone justify sin. Well, God's greatest desire is for us to be happy, so it's okay if I fill in the blank. They're systematizing it. They're, they're creating their theology of what they believe God operates on that. Or you look at what's going on in Carmen's life right now, and you see the peace that he has in the midst of his sufferings and his trials, and he clings to the faithfulness of God and all that. He has a theology, a systematic theology, if you will, of how God operates. It comes from the entirety of the Bible that's led him to have peace in the midst of his final days. This hospice has been called in. And so the reality is, anytime we talk about God, we end up doing this. It's like, the question is, do we do it well? And much like when we talked about how do we understand the Bible in that series, I told you we all interpret Scripture. Anytime someone said God is and they fill in the blank or God does whatever, they're, they're articulating what they believe God does. So we all interpret the Bible. Do we do it well? All of us, when we talk about God, somehow systematize his attributes. The question is, are we doing it correctly and doing it well? So in light of all that, I want to give you another definition of attributes, not in general now, but the attributes of God. And this comes from a guy named W.T. Connor. He was a professor in the 1930s, so we're going back in a while, at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. It's the best definition I've found of the attributes in terms of speaking about God. And here's his definition there at the bottom of page two for you. The attributes of God are those qualities or characteristics of the divine being by virtue of which he is distinguished from all created beings and without which he would not be worthy of the worship and service of man. Let me read that again. The attributes of God are those qualities or characteristics of the divine being by virtue of which he is distinguished from all created beings, and without which he would not be worthy of the worship and service of man. Let's unpack that for just a minute. It talks about the characteristics of the divine being. You can call that his divine characteristics. This is us trying to describe God and his greatness and his infiniteness. This is us in our limited finiteness, in our limited vocabulary, trying as best we can to explain the divine, to describe who God is and the characteristics that make him uniquely God. We then say in here that by virtue of which he is distinguished from all created beings. When we talk about the attributes of God, we're distinguishing him from us in the way we talk about him. When we describe God, there's kind of two categories that we use. The first category is, are things about God that we cannot share in any way, shape, form, or fashion. The parts of God that are unique completely to God. And so when we do that, and this is not on your handout here, this is just extra stuff as we're unpacking this definition. These characteristics that are, that are unique to God, these are things like the fact that God is omnipresent, omni being all, all present. God is everywhere. You and I can't even begin to fathom that because we can't be everywhere. There's days I think you, we all wish we could clone ourselves so we get more done, right? We can't, though. We're limited. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. That's the thing about him that we can't even experience. Or you look at the fact that God is independent. God has zero needs. God's not lonely. God doesn't have any needs. So my scripture, where he speaks, speaks to us through scripture and says, even if I needed something, I wouldn't tell you. Because I mean, what can we do for that? I mean, God has zero needs. Who of us has zero needs? We have need for food. We have need for sleep. We have need for health. We have need for friendships. We have need for community. We have need for encouragement. We, I mean, we all have a long list of needs. God has zero needs. And so we can't even begin to fathom that in some ways because he's distinguished from us in that. Or how about the fact that God is unchanging? I mean, how many of us are unchanging? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't marriage be easier if we were unchanging? Wouldn't our friendships be easier if we were the same every day? And we didn't have mood swings and I didn't get up frustrated one day and happy the next day? I mean, if we were unchanging, how much easier life would be? But we, we change. God is unchanging. God doesn't get up in a bad mood one day, get up happy today, merciful day, mad tomorrow. I'm, God is unchanging changing and so we can't even fathom that in a lot of ways because he's distinguished from us he's different from us 
But the second category of God's attributes that we'll work through are attributes that he shares in part with us. So we say that God is love, but we can love, right? So we can share that attribute, but in part, we're still distinguished from him because God fully loves. We don't all fully love. We can argue with our best friend. We can argue with our spouse. We don't always show perfect love. We're flawed human beings, but God's love is perfect. So though we can share that attribute in part, it's still distinguished from God because God is perfect in all those things. So things like his mercy, his holiness, his love, we can be merciful. We strive for holiness. We can love, but we can't love like God loves. We can't be merciful like God is merciful. We can't be holy like God is holy. So we share in part, but even in those attributes, he's still distinguished from his creative beings. And the other part of that definition there that you see, without which he would not be worthy of the worship and the service of man. Friends, the attributes of God are the attributes of his perfection that make him worthy of worship. That includes everything in his character, including things that we don't like to think about, like his wrath, his jealousy, his justice. Those, those, he is just as deserving of worship for being a jealous God as he is being deserving of worship because he's a loving and, and kind God. He is worthy of worship for the totality of who he is. And if he did not have these attributes, if God was not a jealous God, he would not be worthy of our worship. If God was not a loving God, he would not be worthy of our worship. If he was not a gracious God, he would not be worthy of our, just, of our worship. If he was not a just God, he would not be worthy of our worship. These are the attributes of God that make him worthy of our praise and worthy of our service. And altogether, it makes him perfect and beautiful and glorious and splendid in all those different ways. So flip the page to page three. In light of that, I want us to give us a big picture of what my prayer is, I hope this does for us. Because studying the attributes of God should lead us to worship and service of Him. I didn't pick this series because I wanted to do a systematic theology and do theology for theology's sake. Likewise, when we did the last series on how to understand the Bible, the goal of that was not for us to be able to tell people, you're interpreting parables wrong. Or, you know, the point of it was us to be able to better worship God because God has revealed Himself to us in Scripture. We want to know Him, we want to worship Him in spirit and in truth, and studying the attributes of God is not for knowledge's sake to puff us up so we can have good discussions with people. It is to lead us to know Him as He has revealed Himself to us so that we may worship Him and serve Him. A.W. Tozer, who is just a really gifted author, here's what he said in that first quote on your page three. It is vitally important that we should think soundly about God, since He, God, is the foundation of all of our religious beliefs it follows that if we err in our ideas of God, we will go astray in everything else. Friends, if we don't get who God is as God has revealed himself to us, we will end up messed up in so many other arenas of our life because the, knowing who God is he's revealed himself to us shapes everything else, how we treat our spouse, how we parent our kids, how we relate to our friends, how we live in community in the church, how we see people in need around us, how we minister to those who've never heard the name of Jesus. All of that is shaped by understanding fundamentally of who God is is. But the flip side of that is not just the negative as A.W. Tozer communicates it, but friends, if we know God for who he is, as he's revealed himself to us, it will lead us to worship. We can't see God for who he is if we're a follower of Christ whose eyes have been opened by him to see him. If we see him for who he is, it will lead us to worship him and to want to serve him the more we see how glorious he is, how grand he is and all things. So by God's grace, this is what we strive for. These two different verses I put here. Again, we can't do this in human strength. This is by God's grace what we're striving for. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares 
the Lord. So what are we striving for in this study and all we're doing as a church body? We want to understand and know God. Not just know about God, we want to understand Him so we might know Him for who He is. And notice even the, His attributes is there. He's, does, he's a God who practices love and justice. You see both there. How about Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10? I preached this text in one of my early sermons coming as your pastor. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Friends, when Paul prays for the people at Colossae there, one of his specific prayers, the indications of grace in their life and God working, is that they're increasing in the knowledge of God, growing and understanding who God is. And the end goal in this is knowing God, just not knowing about God, but knowing God. And J.I. Packer has a great quote to remind us, if you're not familiar with J.I. Packer, he wrote a phenomenal book called Knowing God. This is a classic, it's been around a while, I commend to you. In his book, Knowing God, he said this, Our concern must be to enlarge our acquaintance, not simply with the doctrine of God's attributes, but with the living God whose attributes they are. As he is the subject of our study and our helper in it, so he must himself be the end of it. We must seek in studying God to be led to God. It was for this purpose that revelation was given, and it's to this use that we must put it. Friends, we are not doing this just so we can learn more about God. We're, doing, we're trying to learn more about God so that we may know God himself. As it said here, he himself must be the end of it. We must seek in studying God to be led to God. And that is our efforts. That's our big picture desire in all this is we want to know God. We want to serve him. We want to worship him. We want to have intimacy with our creator. We want to be in relationship with him. There's a little extra thing here, just not on your handout, but just realize this. We can spend every moment of our life until the day we die, studying about God and not cease to learn new things about Him. There is no way in the study we can, compre- we can do everything about God. We can literally spend every day of our life in the Word of God, looking at God's creation, <coughs> learning about Him, and never cease to discover new things about God. With that said, do you do realize that for, when we get to heaven and we see God face-to-face, unveiled faces, it's not all of a sudden our knowledge is complete and we're done. God is so infinite, so vast, so great. We will spend all eternity and never cease to not... To, to never cease discovering new things about God. He is that big that 10 trillion years from now when we're still in his presence, we're still going to be amazed each day at new stuff we're discovering about God's character and his greatness. He is that big that we will never cease to end learning new stuff about him because he is so much bigger than that. And so I hear people sometimes say, well, heaven just sounds so boring sitting around. We're not sitting on clouds strumming harps. We're going to be constantly forever learning more about the greatness of our God, but unlike the limitations we have now, we are seeing Him, the living Word before us, seeing Him with unveiled faces, and we get to discover Him forever, learning more about Him, and that leads us to worship, that leads us to service of Him for eternity. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Well, that leads to another question that's fundamental for the study. Not a lot to say on this, but how are we able to know these things about God? As we seek to know Him as we seek to <coughs> understand his attributes, how do we able to even know these things? And it's quite simple there. I put it on your handout. We know it because God has revealed himself to us in Scripture. We're not trying to make up things. We're not trying to project our attributes on God. We're not starting with us and how we operate. We're not starting with our personalities and going, how might this be like God? We're not starting there. We're starting with what the Scripture says about God and trying to get our, our finite, limited minds around that. We're not speculating, well, perhaps God might be fill in the blank. We are looking at his revelation to us, saying, okay, God, show us 
what you want us to know about you is you've revealed yourself to us in the totality of Scripture. So it's us sitting under the authority of the Word of God, looking to God's revelation to us so that we might know Him. Which is why we began our first study, not with attributes, we began our first study with how to understand the Bible. Because we want to sit under the authority of the Word of God and make sure we're understanding the Word of God as God designed us to understand it so that we can then dive into it and look for who He is in this. So that leads to our practical question, the end of the big picture stuff, before we tackle one attribute tonight, just real briefly. And that's how are we going to organize our study of God's attributes? Because Scripture, again, does not present them in any order. There's not one book that says chapter 1 is this attribute, chapter 2 is this, you know. You just see God throughout the pages of all of Scripture. So how are we going to organize it? Lots of people have tried lots of different ways to do it. The way that makes sense to my brain is the way that you're going to get it, because that's the way that my brain works on this. And there's two big categories of the attributes of God. And you see them there in your handout. I alluded to them earlier. The first one is called the incommunicable attributes of God. Incommunicable means these are the attributes of God he does not share with us. The attributes of God that, he, that are, you can just put the word unique there, that are unique to God that he does not share in any way with his creation. We're going to start with that because these are the ones that are most misunderstood because they're least like our experience. So if you look on this handout you have right here for our schedule, you're going to see where we're going with these things. We're going to begin with the incommunicable attributes of God. We're going to start tonight with God's unity, that God doesn't have parts. We're going to move next week to God's independence. This is sometimes called his self-existence, his solitariness, his aseity. There's lots of different words that you use for it, but this is the fact that God needs nothing. That is, like I mentioned earlier, that has nothing to do, we, we, we cannot even relate to that because we have so many needs. We look to God's eternality, his infinity, the fact that he has always existed. We had a beginning point, different, uh, different than us. His omnipresence, that he is everywhere, that he's unchanging. Sometimes you hear the word immutable for that. We're going to start with those. I have made a little bit of a change because a lot of people put, you see this, uh, May 31, we're talking about spirituality. Sometimes we call that God's invisibility. He's a spirit. He doesn't have a body for us to see. That's oftentimes classified as a communicable attribute, an attribute that God shares with his creation. But it's so fundamental to who God is. We're going to push it up to, the, to the, this first category of attributes, and I think you'll see why when we get there. So we're starting with those because this is so different than our experience. And then <clears throat> after kind of a several-week break related to Bible school for the July church fellowship, in July we're going to start doing the communicable attributes of God. And the communicable attributes of God are the attributes of God that God shares in part with his creation. If you're writing it down, make sure in part is underlined, circled, something, because he doesn't share them in full with us. Like I mentioned earlier, God is love. We can love, but we can't love like God. We can only love in part like God. God is merciful. And so you'll see on your handout there some of the ones we'll look at. God is omniscient. Omni means all. All science, all knowledge is what that means. God's knowledge. Well, we don't have that, but he's given us knowledge. God's wisdom. Well, he possesses all wisdom, but we can ask for wisdom and he'll give us Wisdom, so we have it in part. God's truthfulness, sometimes we call his faithfulness, his omnipotence, omni, all, potence, power, his all-powerfulness, his sovereignty. Well, we don't have that, but we do have authority over his creation, so we have power he's given to us. You can keep going through the list. His peace, his goodness, his holiness, his love, his righteousness, his mercy, his patience, his, flip it on the next column over in October, his jealousy, his grace, his wrath, his perfection, his glory, his majesty, his beauty. These are attributes of God to, that we would classify under this communicable attributes of God that he shares with us. Now, with that said, there's an important line there in handout. Remember, there are no negative attributes of God. Because when you talk to people, a lot of times they will, they will classify things like, oh, we love talking about God's goodness and love and kindness. But they almost act, act apologetic for his jealousy and his wrath and his justice. We don't need to apologize for that. That's who God is. That's part of his character. That's not a negative part of him. All of his attributes are good. 
And so normally when, the, when people write on this, they would put his goodness, his love, his mercy, all this together. Then they would put together in a section his, his holiness, his justice, his jealousy, his wrath. When I started to do that originally, I realized October's going to be a really hard month for us. And week after week, we're coming in talking about, again, not bad attributes, but attributes that are not what we normally think about. And so I've kind of tried to mix those up between the attributes that are the ones that seem, in our human limited perspective, more positive. Again, there's no negative attributes, but the ones that we typically would not dwell on. So you'll see we'll go from, like, his goodness to his holiness, his love to his righteousness, or sometimes we call it his judging, his justice, his mercy and patience with sinners to his jealousy, his grace, and then his wrath. And so I hope you won't just come on every other week during that time, but you'll come for all of it because this is who God is as we see him throughout Scripture on that. And with that said, I want to leave you, before we move on, to just one quick attribute to get us thinking tonight. It's something that Charles Spurgeon wrote, and I put it on the bottom of page 3 for you. This is my prayer for myself, for all of us, as we do this study. Spurgeon said, No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. And that's my prayer for myself as I study and teach for you guys as, as you listen and you think about this in your small groups each week and during the week is that the more we get to understand who God is, the more it will humble us because we see how great he is and how small we are. But with that, as we look at who God is, I, I pray it will stretch our minds. It will leave us in awe and wonder of his greatness and it will stretch us beyond perhaps who we thought God is before. So that's my prayer for us. So with that said, let's jump in and talk just briefly, just for a few minutes, this won't take long, about one attribute of God. It's called the unity of God. Again, this is not where if you pick up most theology books or most books on God's attributes, they rarely ever start here. My brain apparently works different than the authors are because I'm starting here with this one. And that's simply this because I think this is fundamental to understanding how we understand all the other attributes of God. And this attribute is defined as this. God is not divided into parts. God is not divided into parts. Now, we're not minimizing a, tr a trinity understanding of God that Bruce Ware talked about. We know that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're talking about his attributes, his nature. His a nature is not divided. Sometimes this is called God's simplicity. That's the older term for it. It's not a good term today because when we think simplicity, we think simple, not complicated. But that's not really what it means. Simplicity here means not composed of parts. Think of a simple machine if you think back to high school. simple machine was a device that was basically like a lever that moved on. There wasn't like a lot of parts to it. It was a simple Machine. So that's kind of the idea here when we think of, talk of God's simplicity. He's not divided into parts. In other words, he is holistic. So that means God's attributes are not like the following diagram. So take a look at the first diagram there on page 4. What is wrong with that diagram in trying to describe God? We see God's love, his holiness, his justice, his wrath, his blessedness, his wisdom, his omnipresence, his independence, his truthfulness, his omnipotence, his wisdom, his mercy, his knowledge, and his jealousy. What's wrong with that one? God is not just some collection of attributes. That's why that diagram falls short. God is God. These are, we're trying to describe God, but God is not just a collection of attributes. He is just simply God. When we're describing God's mercy, that's his total being. When we describe his wrath, that's his total being. It's not like he's got part wrath over here, part jealousy over here, part love over here, part grace over here. God is fully God. And so when you try to describe God in terms of just these little segmented things, it doesn't work. Likewise, a second diagram, what's wrong with that one? Well... God is not, his attributes are not external to him. It's not like something that's been imposed on him by people just trying to describe him. So it's not that here's God, and then we kind of say, well, here's love, here's justice, here's kind. No, his attributes are core to who he is. They represent his very being. They're not external to him. So instead, there it is in bold. What does this mean? It means every attribute of God is completely true of all of God's character all of the time. 
When we talk about any of his attributes in the study, we're talking about the totality of his being all of the time, all eternity. God is fully, always, every one of these things. They describe his entire being, not part. So we can't say this part of God is love and this part of God is jealous. No, all of God is love and all of God is jealous. We can't say, well, that part of God is gracious and this part is, is, is judging. Well, no, all of God is gracious and all of God is judging as well. So if you think about like in 1 John, 1 John 1, 5 tells us God is light. Then you get to 1 John 4, 8 and says God is love. Would he stop being light when he became love? No. He's always fully light all the time. He's always fully love all the time. He's not just a collection of attributes. He's always fully all of these things, eternally, constantly. So look at Exodus 34 there on your handout. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, the children's children, the third and the fourth generation. So is God sometimes a God who judges and sometimes a God who shows love and forgives iniquity? No, God is fully always forgiving iniquity. God fully always is judging sin. That is the fullness of him, totally always for all eternity doing these things. God, every attribute of God is completely true of all of God's character, all of the time. <clears throat> There's a quote there at the bottom of the page from Wayne Grudem. <clears throat> he said, We must remember that God's whole being includes all of his attributes. He is entirely loving, entirely merciful, entirely just, and so forth. Every attribute of God that we find in Scripture is true of all of God's being, and we therefore can say that every attribute of God qualifies every other attribute. So what is this picture at the bottom of the page? What in the world is this? This was Grudem's attempt to try to help us diagram, since these other diagrams up here do not work. You know, God is not just a collection of attributes. God is not just attributes around him. What is he? So the circle is God. Now imagine the up and down lines in the circle are God's love. Now go to the horizontal lines, imagine those are God's justice. Now go the diagonal lines one way, and those are God's holiness. Now go diagonal lines another way, those are God's wisdom. And you just keep starting filling in all those lines because who God is, he's fully, every part of God is wise. Every part of God is jealous. Every part of God is love. Every part of God is just. And so the more you fill in, before long, the whole circle is black because the, all the attributes fully fill up every part of God all of the time. So turn the page. What does that mean practically for us? That means, number one, none of God's attributes compete with or quarrel with one another. God's justice and mercy are not at odds with each other, fighting on who's going to win. And the situation with the sinner here, is God's justice going to win or God's, is God's mercy going to win? God, his, his, his attributes don't argue. There's a Christian song on the radio that's real popular that talks about mercy wins every time. I hate that song. Because why? It makes it sound like God's mercy is competing against his, his justice. God's attributes don't compete. God's attributes are fully true of his character all the time. They're not in, in competition with one another. Second of all, that means none of God's attributes can be separated from each other. So, like, in our culture, what's the attribute everyone loves to think? God is what? Love. We get obsessed with that, that attribute in our culture. But God's love is eternal. God's love is just. God's love is wise. God's love is jealous. God's love is all those other attributes Put together, God's wrath is loving. God's wrath is just. God's wrath is eternal. All the attributes define all the other attributes. They're all intertwined together because they're all God. That means we can't do what a lot do in our popular culture. We can't be like, when well, the Old Testament, I see that God is a God of wrath. And in the New Testament, I see God is a God of grace. No. 
God is fully always gracious and fully always wrathful. God is fully God. There's not like distinction. He doesn't change on that. We cannot separate his attributes from each other. He's fully everything. We're just trying to systematize and focus in on one in time to try to get our little brains around the greatness of who he is. That means number three, no attribute is more important than the other attributes. Again, our culture, we kind of let love be the interpretive key to everything else about God. Again, maybe you say, well, God is loving. He can't send people to hell. Well, if God is loving, he wants me to be happy. Therefore, he'll let me do this, even though his word says not. We can't do that. One attribute does not trump any other attribute of God's. They're all true of him all the time. The unity of God that we're talking about here means that all the attributes are true all the time for God. And then lastly, that means number four, it is God himself and his whole being whom we seek to know, to worship, and to serve. If we only focus on one attribute of God, then we, to- we miss who he is because he's not limited to just one attribute. He's fully, holy, everything we're trying to describe here and so much more. And we're trying to know him for who he is so that we might worship him and serve him. And like it says there in that bold thing in the middle of page five, these truths can be hard to, hard to grasp for us. Why? Because we do not have this unity. God has unity. We don't have unity. God has no separation. Friends, we are, even in our core nature, we're body, soul, and spirit. Now, again, not all theologians agree that some see soul and spirit as the same thing. They say we're bipartite, two parts. I hold that we're three parts, tripartite. We're body, soul, and spirit. But there's, there's three parts to us. And so we're not unified like God is even at the core of that. But then even in our personality, we're not unified. There's days I'm going to be really kind to my kids when they're disobeying. There's other days where I'm going to be really just with them. And my attributes fight against each other at times on that one. We're not fully that. You know, there's days we'll be so loving and tender to our spouse. There's other days that we just kind of let them have it. You know, I mean, our attributes fight against each other. We don't have this type of unity that God has. This is an incommunicable attribute of God. He is unity. He is, he doesn't have the divisions that we have. God is always fully, all the time, is all of these attributes. They don't change. And so tonight I want to leave us with this, in light of this, this quote from, again, A.W. Tozer again. He said this. It's a great summary of it all, of the idea of God's unity. God has no parts any more than a diamond has parts. God is all one God, and everything that God does harmonizes with everything else that God does perfectly because there are no parts to get out of joint and no attribute to face each other and fight it out. All God's attributes are one and together. Everything that God is and does harmonizes with everything else that God is and does. I probably should not even use the word harmony, for harmony requires at least two that get together and for a time become one. But there's nothing like that in God. God just is. And friends, that should make our minds spin a little bit, and that's good for us. Because we're trying to understand how infinite God is, how great He is, and how amazing He is. And so I start with this tonight with the unity of God for this reason. When we start talking about things like God is eternal, God is unchanging, God is love, God is jealous, God is merciful and patient with sinners, but God judges sin. When we start working through these, I don't want us to, to look at them in isolation from one another. That's just a a limitation of our brains on this, that we're trying to understand what we see about this part of God, but it's fully God in all these things. So we start with the unity of God to remind us at the outset that when we look at these attributes, we're not trying to isolate them in such a way to imply that this one is more important or this attribute trumps others, but simply to recognize the limitations of our ability to approach infinite God, but to realize God is fully always everything that we're going to talk about throughout the day. So turn the back to, to discussion. We have a few questions for us for our time together tonight. And we'll do this each week. Most of the weeks we'll have more discussion time than we have tonight, but I'm trying to get this kind of stage set, so to speak, for where we're going with this. But here's where we're at tonight on this. Number one, Jeremiah 9.24 says, But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord. Read that verse earlier. What does it mean to understand and know God? 
thought you'd have some fun with that one. The number two, is it possible to know a lot about God, but not know God? Is it possible to know a lot about God, but not know God? If so, then, how can we turn our knowledge about God in studies like this into knowing God? That's like the big picture foundation question for us. Again, our goal in this is not to come away with more information about God. Our goal is to come away knowing more about God so that we may better know God for who he really is. It's about a relationship. So how can we turn our knowledge as we're working through this whole study? How can we focus in such a way that it helps us know God? Number three, have you ever considered that for all eternity you will never stop learning more about God? How does that truth change our view of heaven and our longing for it? Number four, can we have confidence when we get to heaven we won't suddenly realize everything we thought about God was actually wrong. I don't know if you've ever had that thought. What if I get to heaven and I realize I have absolutely, everything that's wrong I've ever thought about God? How do we have, can we have confidence that, you know, not that we're not implying that in a prideful way that we're going to get to heaven and, and we're get pat on the back. You got it all right. No, we're not, that's not what we're saying here. But can we with confidence get, you know, approach heaven not expecting to, to be told we got it all wrong all the time? Number five. An ancient scholar once asked of God, and I've tried to modernize it for us here, how do you spare the wicked, God, if you are just? I don't know if you ever get that question. How can God spare the wicked, his mercy, if he's also a just God? How does what we talked about tonight, the unity of God, help us answer that question? Number six, if we have time to get this far into, if not, think about these on your own. Look at the list of attributes from the other handout. We'll discuss in the months to come. Which ones do you think about the most often? Why? What is it that draws your particular attributes of God? Which ones do you not think about much? Why? And is there a danger in only focusing on some of his attributes? And then lastly, which I hope is a prayer point for all of us, but discussion as well, how would a larger view of God change the way we live? If we really get our, our minds expanded to know more about God, and we know God as well, how does that change our lives? So let's break up into a few groups. I see Greg here, if you'll form a group. Steve back there, if you'll form a group, um, probably need one more. Jason, we'll get some people over here to circle up with you guys. So I think we can probably split into those three groups right there. If you want to flip, split up another group, that's fine, and just uh, just work through.